Brothers and sisters, turn with me once more to the book of 2 Peter. We continue our journey through this great and glorious book of Holy Scripture this morning. 2 Peter chapter 2. Second Peter chapter 2, we pick up at the end of verse 10. Hear now the word, the living God. They are presumptuous, self-willed. They are not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries, whereas angels who are greater in power and might do not bring a reviling accusation against them before the Lord. But these, like natural brute beasts, made to be caught and destroyed, speak evil of the things that they do not understand, and will utterly perish in their own corruption, and will receive the wages of unrighteousness as those who count it pleasure to carouse in the daytime. They are spots and blemishes, carousing in their own deceptions while they feast with you, having eyes full of adultery, and that cannot cease from sin, enticing unstable souls. They have a heart trained in covetous practices and are accursed children. They have forsaken the right way and gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. But he was rebuked for his iniquity. A dumb donkey, speaking with a man's voice, restrained the madness of the prophet. This is the word of the living God, and we say, thanks be to God. Please be seated. Let's ask the Lord's blessing on our time in the word. Now, O Lord, we pray here in this place this morning that the very voice of Christ, our Savior, would be made known to us, that his sheep would hear his voice and recognize him and savor him in his glorious gospel. We pray that you, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, would be pleased to envelop us In the word this morning, giving us aid, we ask, correcting us, comforting us, soothing our fears, confronting our wrongs, and pressing us to see Christ and him crucified. In Jesus' name, amen. We're jumping into a portion of scripture this morning. And it's a portion of scripture that we left off with some two weeks back. We really are in an entire chapter of the word of God, 2 Peter chapter 2, where the call to be on guard against false teachers rising from within is the theme. If you go over to the book of Jude, it seems as though one of the things that Christians should be aware of is false teachers coming from outside the church with influence. And don't we see that in our day? Teachings, teachings everywhere to be found. But in 2 Peter, the concern seems to be false teachers, liars, arising from within the church of Jesus Christ. And Peter does not mince his words. Boys and girls, he's very serious about the concern of false teachers. Now as we saw Several weeks back, there were two main themes given to describe these false teachers. Teachers that in Peter's day, and the day shortly after him, but cycling throughout the history of the church, would arise from within the very people of God. And the two themes that were given to describe these false teachers are found in verse 10. 
And especially those who walk according to the flesh in lust of uncleanness and despise authority. There it is. There are other sub-themes. But the two main overt sins or descriptors of these false teachers is that they are people driven by lust and sexual sin and they despise authority. Thus, in their despising of authority, they rise up against the authority that God has given. They speak against things that they know not of. But as the text continues, Peter now, it seems, as some scholars will notate, reverses these two descriptors. At the end of verse 10 and moving into the next few verses, notice it's the despising of authority that he addresses first. So notice there in the latter part of verse 10 of 2 Peter 2, they are presumptuous, self-willed. They are not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries. So even though the lusts of uncleanness was listed first and the despising of authority was listed second, Peter now deals with them in reverse order. So let's look at this and deal with these two descriptors. Firstly, the despising of authority. The teachers, so-called, false teachers arising from within the body have a pattern of despising authority. Notice some terms are given. They are presumptuous. They are self-willed. In one sense, this is all of us outside of Christ. We all wrestle to some degree with being presumptuous, being self-willed. We live in a day, boys and girls, where authority and people giving us instruction, many times good instruction, is thrown off. Well, these false teachers are known as despising authority by what they say. By what they say. Notice as the text continues, Peter says, they are not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries. What does this mean? Well, technically, the word used there in the underlying text is they're not afraid to speak evil of glories. Or glorious ones, you could translate it either way. What does that mean? Well, some would argue that what is in view here is they're not afraid to speak evil of angels or demons. Others would say that what is meant here is they're not afraid to speak evil of human authorities like the apostles that Christ Jesus had instituted for his church. Think about this. If there were churches in the first century that were not following the apostles... They were not following the very ones that Christ had given authority to, to preach his word to the nations, to found his church. And that was happening even in Peter's day, before his death. Other human authorities may be in reference here. Spiritual authorities, magistrates, parents. They're known as breakers of the fifth commandment. That's what they speak but then notice, notice what Peter does with their words. They're not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries. And then he uses a different creature. And how those creatures speak. Notice verse 11. Whereas angels who are greater in power and might do not bring a reviling accusation against them before the Lord. Now, what's interesting here is Peter takes human beings, these false teachers, 
and says, look, they're presumptuous, they're self-willed, and they're much lower in power and might than the angels, but the angels don't dare do that. Here, you have presumptuous, self-willed ones who Peter will call natural brute beasts in a moment. They're willing to voice their reviling accusations against either spiritual beings or perhaps human Christ-made authorities like those who are seeking to preach truth as the mouthpiece of Christ. Notice the comparison is that much stronger angels don't dare to make reviling accusations before the Lord. And couldn't they? In one sense, couldn't a sinless, creaturely angel whose job it is to serve at the beckoning call of the triune God, couldn't the angels of heaven bring reviling accusations against demons? Couldn't they look down on us in their finiteness and yet still see some of our evil deeds and bring reviling accusation amongst the worst of us? Couldn't they look at earthly rulers? The text says they do not bring reviling, evil accusation. We don't know all of the words of the angels of heaven. We know some of them. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. We don't know all that they say. Peter is saying, here you have these presumptuous, self-willed, false teachers who rise up and they're willing to bring reviling accusation and speak horrible things against dignitaries. Again, spiritual or human. Whereas the angels of heaven won't do it. Now this is going to be interesting because he says, these human beings are much much less powerful and much lower in might than the angels. They won't do it. And then he's going to say in verse 12, they're like natural brute beasts. They're animals is the way they're acting. What happens at the end of this section? Who is it that actually speaks truth? An animal. (laughs) An animal gets it right whereas a human gets it wrong. So Peter has a way of bringing to bear all kinds of creatures here in these seven verses to say, look at their pattern of despising authority. And notice in verse 12, Peter says, they speak evil of the things that they do not understand. You see, it's one thing to say, I don't understand, help me understand. It's another thing to raise your hand, to raise your fist and say, this is evil when you do not understand. It ought to cause us a moment's pause when we seek to address spiritual or theological things that we do not understand. Our brother prayed providentially about the issue of social media this morning. How often do we see Christians and sometimes false converts speaking of theological things with bare minimal understanding and yet they speak reviling against those who utter the truths that they don't understand. So one of the patterns is that they're despising authority and they're despising authority known by their lips. They speak evil of things they do not understand and they speak evil of glories, glorious ones, dignitaries, 
authorities. But notice that in addition to despising authority, secondly, they're known, as verse 10 says, by their lustful living. I want us to just look at the anatomy of their lustful living for just a moment. Peter tells us about their pleasure, their hypocrisy, their focus, their heart, and their path. Let's just look at all of those. Look what Peter says. Again, he's dealing with these in reverse order. He's spoken to the fact that they despise authority, chiefly with their lips, and now he's going to get into what their lives look like, their lustful lives. He says in verse 13, and will receive the wages of unrighteousness as those who, and now we get a picture, don't we? As those who count it pleasure to carouse in the daytime. Their pleasure is carousing in the daytime. Reveling, partying. Now, Peter doesn't mean it's wrong to have some kind of a godly party in the middle of the day, to be a person filled with happiness and joy. That's not what carousing means. It means that whereas deeds of sin are often done in the night so that they're not seen, these are marked by people who have pleasure to bring them into the day where everybody can see them. They carouse in the daytime and they find pleasure in it. But notice, it's not just their pleasure that he describes. He describes their hypocrisy. Look at the very next phrase. As those who count it pleasure to carouse in the daytime, they are spots and blemishes, carousing in their own deceptions while they feast with you. There's hypocrisy here. Why is there hypocrisy? Because while they're carousing in the daytime, openly Pursuing their sins, they're also feasting with Christ's people. Now that word feast could mean one of two things. The Lord's Supper, or it could mean Christian fellowship. I think it's best to consider both in view. Because what do we see in the pattern of the New Testament church? They gathered every Lord's Day to hear the word and to feast at his table. And then what was their life marked with? Feasting together. Well, they're hypocrites. They are spots and blemishes. Brothers and sisters, isn't it the case that in some sense we are so concerned about the pagans of this world who don't claim Christ carousing in the daytime? And we should be concerned about that. We should be concerned about our culture. But we spend so much of our time concerned about the culture outside of our doors that we don't even consider that an even worse reality is that there are people doing the same things while coming inside the doors, claiming the name of Christ. So there's a pleasure and there's a hypocrisy. Now notice, and I was so thankful to read one scholar this week who pointed this out. Notice in verse 13 how this hypocrisy is described. There's spots and blemishes. Boys and girls, what happens when mom or dad wants to wash something? Maybe a piece of clothing. And they wash it and all of a sudden they pull it out of the washing machine or, if it's too late, the dryer. And there are spots on it. And it's just, it's, it's just dirty, isn't it? A couple little spots. And it's almost like the whole thing is ruined. Well, that's how Peter is describing these individuals. The church is gathered together in the purity 
of the worship of Christ, marked out by his blood, but there are spots and blemishes. But notice, as one scholar points out, how does Peter describe Christians one chapter later? Look at verse 14. He calls us to something, doesn't he? 2 Peter 3, 14. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace. How? Without spot and blameless. I don't think this is just an accident. Well, if we've seen their pleasure and their hypocrisy and their lustful living, we also see their focus. Where are their eyes focused? Look at verse 14. Having eyes full of adultery and that cannot cease from sin. Not only are there examples among them of committing adultery, but their eyes are looking for it. We see false teachers described in other chapters of the Bible as those who invade the houses of women. The idea is that there's some kind of enticing, adulterous idea in view. But let's just think for a moment of what the Scripture calls the eyes of believers to be like. Job 31.1. Remember what Job says, I have made a covenant with my eyes. Why then should I look upon a young woman? And he means with lustful intent. Matthew 5.28, the Lord Jesus reminds us that if we look on someone else with sinful lust, we've broken the seventh commandment. Genesis 39.7, we get a picture of what lustful intent looks like someone pursuing Joseph out of lust. Proverbs 6.25 speaks to the same thing. We said this several weeks ago, but these false teachers are marked by sexual sin. Brothers and sisters, since the fall in the garden, one of the chief sins that has ravaged humanity is sexual sin. And here, these false teachers rising from within are hypocrites. Yes, their pleasure is to do sin outwardly and openly. But their focus is that they have eyes full of adultery. They've so trained their mind that now they can't go throughout a day without seeing things in certain contexts bent towards sexual sin. This is why there is such a challenging reality in our day where so many people have spent so many hours looking at sexual sinful things that their mind has been trained they have been if you will allow me to use this word catechized their mind has been catechized so that when they enter a new situation a new room a new workplace everything everything is focused on what sexual lust This has invaded the church, Peter says. Notice he says this, they cannot cease from sin. One of the challenges for these false teachers is not only do they have a pleasure of carousing in the daytime and living in it in hypocrisy, looking with lustful intent at every moment 
as if it were an opportunity for adultery, but they are trapped. The text says they cannot cease from sin. I'm going to use a word that the world uses. I think it's appropriate to use it sometimes, provided that we understand that there's more going on than our bodies. But there is an addictive nature to lustful sins. An addiction has a way of taking over the thoughts and the actions and the minds of those who are trapped within it. Why do I say that's a, a word that the world uses? I think it's an appropriate word descriptively. The Bible, however, knows nothing of, I am not to blame when I keep on sinning. If that's how you use the word addiction, stop it. <laughs> but if by addiction you mean, I'm describing the fact that not only am I regularly sinning, it's like I, I, I have a hard time, I can't stop. The recognition that you are troubled because you can't stop sinning and that in any way bothers you is good. Don't let the fact that you see that you're trapped in sin and you're concerned about it keep you from pursuing the grace that is available to you in Christ. But these ones cannot cease from sinning. Brothers and sisters, the Bible says believers can cease from sinning. Not all sin, but believers have been freed from the power of sin. Romans 6.14, sin shall not what? Have dominion over you. So apparently, as we've seen in multiple ways, now we have another descriptor to say that these false teachers are not believers. They're not believers. But let me just give one word of warning before we continue to look at these false teachers. Teenagers, older children, it is very easy to become addicted to things if you start. It is impossible to become addicted to something if you never start. Does not the living God see what mom and dad do not see? You may think that you have the ability to flirt, if you will, with things on the internet things in your relationships. But the Bible describes sexual sin as a kind of sin that literally destroys your body. It's a sin against your body. So when mom and dad come with words of concern or boundaries, As difficult as it is, particularly when all your friends don't have those same boundaries, press in with obedience. Because there, there is protection in boundaries. Oh, the number of people that I have spoken to who did not have these boundaries, and whose lives were rife with almost this level of description. I cannot stop. And parents, we believe in the law of God. We believe in the gospel and we trumpet Christian liberty. I don't want to infringe your Christian liberty. <laughs> I'm going to press right up to the precipice 
and say, you're free to give your kid whatever you think you want to give your kid. But why? Why introduce something to them too early? Lustful living and despising authority, their pleasure, their hypocrisy, their focus, their heart, it's all on display here. Notice their heart, Peter says, is trained in covetous practices. Imagine, just think about the English. Their hearts are trained in covetous practices. They're not just covetous. It's like they've been trained in covetousness. And their path. Their path. Look at verse 15. They have forsaken the right way and gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. Their path is that they have forsaken the right way and gone astray. Now, Peter uses an example from the Old Testament, particularly the book of Numbers. He uses the sinful practice of Balaam as an example. In short, Balaam was disobedient to God's ways, and he encouraged sexual sin among Israel, the Old Covenant people. So he's being used as an example of a false teacher. Then notice what Peter says. But he was rebuked for his iniquity. And then again, irony of ironies, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Peter says, a dumb donkey speaking with a man's voice restrained the madness of a prophet. They were called brute beasts earlier, and now an Old Testament example is chosen very specifically of where a beast talked some sense into a sinful madman. And this story is used again in Revelation 2, verse 14. Balaam again is used as an example. So the inner workings of the false teachers, they despise authority. This is seen by what they say. They live in lustful living. This is seen in what they do, both in their hearts, with their eyes, and with their actions. So what are we to be on guard with today? Well, we should, we should certainly be on guard against false teachers, but I would submit to you that if we take this passage of Scripture, there are at least three things that we should be on guard for, both in those who teach among us, but in our own lives. The first... Beware of despising authority. Beware of despising authority. And particularly, three aspects of God's authority. These false teachers were despising God's word. Now that word despising is a strong word. Because many of us reserve for the word despising utter hatred. And so we feel like we are immune from that. But you can despise something and not realize it. You can pick and choose which scriptures you would like to honor. You can pick and choose what you're going to obey, what you're going to believe. And if you read God's holy inerrant and infallible word and you pick and choose you are despising the word of God 
So we want to beware of despising God's word. Boys and girls, the world will make this very easy for you. They will look at you and say that you are crazy if you base your life on the Bible. They'll say things that seem to be so intelligent. Don't you know that that was written some 2,000 years ago? Don't you know that there are contradictions in the Bible? When they say that, ask them what the contradictions are, by the way. They just, they never can tell you. They just know that they're there. Your friends will laugh at you in middle school, in high school, perhaps, in college, in trade school, in the military. They will laugh at you if you think that there is revealed truth. So decide now, boys and girls, teenagers, whether God's word really is God's word. If it's not God's word, it's just another book, and we ought not base our lives on it. But if it is the word of the living God, then in love he's given it to us, and we ought to cherish it and build our lives on it. But in addition to not despising authority by despising God's word, we don't want to despise God's design. Several weeks ago, Christy and I were talking after one of the services as we were dealing with the text of false teachers. She said, you know, as we've been talking about false teachers, it seems like some of the description that we see in 2 Peter is very much like what we see in very ultra-liberal so-called Christian churches today. It's absolutely true. Think about liberal churches. They've abandoned God's word as true. They reject doctrine. Their so-called ministers stand in pulpits and make arguments for the worst of sinful practices. They are openly carousing in the day. Not every building that has the word church on its sign, boys and girls, is actually a church of Jesus Christ. Women pastors standing in pulpits today arguing that abortion is actually good. That we ought to, as a church, support planned parenthood. That we ought to emblazon on our church buildings flags which demonstrate that there really aren't just two genders. Beware of despising authority, both in who you have lead over you Is that what they're doing? But also in your own life. But secondly, beware of not living faithfully. That was a description of these false teachers rising from within. Which is why the New Testament tells us when we set apart officers, we are to look at their lives. We're we're to look at their lives. We're We're to judge. Does this seem to be faithful according to God's standard? Not my standard, but God's standard. Is there a pattern of faithfulness currently in the life of this man? But these so-called teachers were disrupting the congregations or would disrupt the congregations. Their lives were full of open sin. Consider, for instance, cult leaders today who seem to have some strong extremes in certain ways and then they openly sin in a variety of ways. Consider apostatizing Christians Their lives are no longer faithful to the word of God. I don't mean that they sin. We all sin. 
Your leaders in this church will sin. But this is a pattern, an unending pattern of faithlessness in how they live. Paul would call us in Romans 13 to something different. Listen to what he says in Romans 13, verse 12. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, or we could say carousing, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. Brothers and sisters, we can look at this chapter on false teachers and want to make sure that all of our teachers are living faithfully, but false teachers will certainly arise if every non-leader in our church begins to live faithlessly. So we ought to see these as warnings for our own lives as well as for any so-called false teachers. So beware, brothers and sisters, of despising authority. Do you have a pattern of being open to despising, pushing off, shirking, speaking evil against authority figures, whether that be in the church, in the home, even in the civil magistrate? Beware of not living faithfully. Are you seeking by God's grace to press into the call to live a life of holiness? But thirdly and finally, beware of being enticed. Beware of being enticed. Look at verse 14. A descriptor of them is this. Having eyes full of adultery and that cannot cease from sin, enticing unstable souls. Now Peter doesn't mean to be pejorative, say negative things against the believers in the body. But the reality is, in any church down through the ages, there will be some who are less stable in the things of the faith. And not always, but often the case is that those who are less stable in the things of the faith will be easily enticed when another wind of doctrine comes along. When a charismatic leader comes along with seeming giftedness and the ability to speak and to lead, something about these false teachers is enticing. We read this and we think, how in the world did you get here? These are awful people. Why are they able to rise up in your midst? And yet look at the church and its history for the last 2,000 years. Isn't it a regular pattern that somehow there are false teachers in various wings and cycles that are able to rise? And many are enticed. This is why not being grounded in the things of the word is such a dangerous place to be. But brothers and sisters, for all of our love of doctrine, and I mean this, we as a church have many strengths. We have weaknesses, certainly. The weaknesses of of your elders, this one in particular, is, is one of them. But we have weaknesses, but we have many strengths. And one of our strengths is that we like to talk about more doctrine rather than less doctrine. But doctrine studied and memorized but not applied in our lives is still dangerous. We can talk about the moral law of God and how it works. We we, we can talk about classical theism and who God is. But listen, if you love to talk about classical theism, 
The ideas uh, arising from the history of the church about who God is and diving into philosophy, God is this, God is that, but it doesn't lead you to worship, you're not really studying doctrine. Listen, a theologically astute academic can be indeed a very false teacher if his life is not compelled by the things that he knows. So we ought to study doctrine. We ought to live it out. This is the pattern of Paul everywhere he went. Several chapters on doctrine and then several chapters in each of his letters on what? Living. So we need to beware of being enticed. So we need to know the word of God and its doctrines. Look at verse 18, a text we'll look at, Lord willing, next week. For when they speak great swelling words of emptiness, they allure through the lusts of the flesh, through lewdness, the ones who have actually escaped from those who live in error. Now at this point, as we close our sermon, it might seem that the path ahead of us is very dire because Peter is saying that individuals will arise up in churches who are teaching falsehood. They will live in un godly ways. They will entice people. And you might be thinking, I see this around me in so many churches. This is doom and gloom. But remember how Peter opens the letter. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. You see, Peter is writing to believers. Yes, there will be Spots and blemishes who gather in with them down through the ages. But he's writing to believers. Believers who have faith in Christ. Believers who've come to understand that Christ died for them. He paid the penalty for their sins. That's what a Christian is. Listen, if you're here today and you hear this message from this preacher about how we need to live in holy ways and we need to know the scriptures and you're thinking, yeah, this is good general Christian stuff. You need to know that the basis of all of this is Christ and him crucified. That his perfect life has been credited to the count of the believer. And that his Atoning death is the payment for sins. You see, in one sense, the false teachers really are no different than every other Christian. What does Paul say? Most of you were carousing in the daytime, 1 Corinthians 6. Most of you were involved in this sin or that sin and really bad sins, so to speak. He says you were washed. You see, we don't read text on false teachers and say, oh, They are really, really sinful. We read texts on false teachers and we say, just like us, they're really, really sinful, but they're rejecting the blood of Jesus. And that's the difference. That's the difference between a Christian who gathers here week in and week out and a so-called false teacher. The Christian knows he's sinful and knows that he needs the blood of the Lamb. The false teacher may claim that, but shows by his life that there's no faith in Christ. Do you have faith in Christ? Do you know that you need his blood? Do you know that you need his righteous record? Do you know that you will not see heaven without Christ saving you 
Do you know that it's not your holiness and your godliness that is the ground of your salvation? Do you know that Christ is your only hope? You may hear a sermon where discussion of sexual sin is mentioned. And you're pricked in your conscience because you're wrestling with that particular sin. Do you know that the blood of Christ will cleanse you from that for all of eternity? No, the difference between the false teacher and the stumbling but repenting godly believer is this. Christ died for the stumbling believer. But the false teacher will not submit to King Jesus' atoning death. And thus his life shows through despising authority and lustful living that he is his own God. Let's not follow the gods of this world, the gods of the false teachers. Let's rest on Christ and him crucified. And listen for Christ's voice in his word week in and week out. And when we stumble as we will, let's not be presumptuous and self-willed and carouse in the day. Let us, on our face, before the King, plead his merits again. Let's pray. Living God, we pray that you would help your church here. Protect us from this kind of rising up from within. Give us a sense of the weightiness of making sure that we do not turn into some kind of disruptive false teacher from within. Give us, though, a humility when we see sin in our lives and it bothers us. Give us the humility that says, but by God's grace. May we be a people who praise the Lord for saving us from our sins. Help us this day, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.